Welcome to the Identity Trust Pulse, where we bring you the latest insights and trends from the fraud and identity industry. On the 20th of June, 2023, the European Commission published its draft proposal for the payment service packages, which should replace the second payment services directive, commonly known as PSD2. I'm your host, Antoine Eubanks, and I've invited Amelia Rocky, Marketing Planning Director at LexisNexis Risk Solutions, to discuss about what companies should expect from PSD3 based on the recently published draft proposals and how they should prepare to become compliant. Emilio, thank you very much for joining us today. So our European audience will no doubt be very familiar with PSD2, but for our global audiences, can you share some details of what are some of the main requirements of PSD2? Sure. Uh, Hi, Antoine, and thank you for your question. Yes, uh, PSD2 is actually a regulatory framework introduced by the European Union to enhance the security, innovation, and competition in the payment services industry. Some of the main requirements of PSD2 include the implementation of the so-called SEA, so Strong Customer Authentication, Open Banking APIs, and the establishment of the new roles such as the AISPs, so the Account Information Service Providers, the PISPs, Payment Initiation Service Providers. So the Strong Customer Authentication actually mandates multi-factor authentication to verify the identity of consumer accessing their account online, or for example, initiating an electronic transaction or executing other transactions through a remote channel that may carry a risk of fraud. Multi-factor authentication is confirmed on the basis of two out of three factors. And the three factors could be a possession factor, an ignorance factor, or a factor of knowledge. That's great, Emilio. So thank you very much for the summary there. And in terms of the requirements of PSD2, so who must comply with the PSD2 regulations? A wide range of entity should uh, uh, comply with PSD2. Uh, so any entity involved in payment services, including, of course, banks, PSPs, fintech companies, and third-party providers. The regulation actually aims to create a level playing field and ensure a secure and efficient payment ecosystem for consumers and businesses alike. Thank you very much, Emilio. And Emilio, what would you say are some of the greatest achievements realized through the introduction of PSD2? And for our listeners, what impact has it had on on their day-to-day lives, even if they don't necessarily realize it was due to the introduction of PSD2? Sure. Very good question. There's a lot of uh, enhancement. Let's focus on on the main ones. And one of the significant achievements of PSD2 is the promotion of open banking, so enabling consumers to share their own financial data in a secure way with authorized third-party providers. This has led actually to increased competition, innovation, and the development of new services and products in the financial industry. Now, uh, from a merchant's perspective, ESD2 allows for the integration of what we already mentioned before, the so-called third-party providers, the TPPs, such as the PISPs, uh, so the payment initiation service providers, the account information service providers, AISPs, as well as the card issuer service providers, the CISPs. This integration enables merchants to offer more seamless and innovative payment options to their own customers. So by leveraging these TPPs, merchants can actually initiate payments directly from the customer's bank accounts and retrieve real-time account information and uh, at the end enhance the overall customer experience. 
Now, from a consumer's per perspective, the PSD2 actually grants the consumers the ability to consent to share their bank, bank data with authorized third parties. What this means for them? Well, this empowers consumers to securely and easily initiate payments from their bank accounts, uh, retrieve account information, and access a wider range of financial services. So with the introduction of PISPs, AISPs, and CISP, like I mentioned before, consumers have more options and control over their own payment methods, leading to a greater convenience and flexibility. So furthermore, consumers gain more control over their own financial management. Thank you, Emilio. That's great. And I know myself personally, I've really benefited from open banking, be able to consolidate all of my various bank accounts. It's a single view. For me personally, it's been super, super handy. So why do you think we were moving from PSD2 to PSD3 if PSD2 has had such a positive experience on, on the financial lives of our, of our listeners and day-to-day -day, uh, consumers across the EU? That's a very good question. And remember, the PSD2 introduced already back in 2019. Uh, actually, we see the payment services market, the payment ecosystem has significantly, uh, you know, uh, experienced different changes uh, among well, innovation, new payment methods. So, but we see a, a, a rise and a growth of new electronic payment methods. We see the entry of new fintech players. And we see the emergence of a new, like I said, uh, online payment methods, a lot of open banking uh, solutions and new use cases like instant payments, QR payments, contactless payments, uh, but the BMPL by now pay later. And we can mention also embedded finance and request to pay. So the EU Commission opened actually a consultation into revision for the PSD2 uh, back now in May 2022. Uh, to actually measure and review the impact of PSD2 and consider the developments in the payments landscape since the introduction of PSD2. So as a result of this evaluation, uh, which included advice from the, the uh, European Banking Authority, a general and targeted public consultation and a report from an independent consultant, the European Commission decided to propose uh, these amendments to the PSD2. So here we've seen uh, the incipient, let's say, uh, development of what will be then the PSD3. No, thank you very much for that background and why the EU is looking at the rollout of PSD3. And for our listeners, can you summarize for them what are some of the main components included within PSD3? Uh, in general, the proposal for PSD3 could be summarized into main six blocks, and those are fraud mitigation, then uh, improved competition, so fairer competition, simplification, and here it has a lot to do also with the standardization of the so-called open APIs. So you mentioned that uh, you, Antoine, you have been using and benefiting from uh, new services offered by fintechs uh, when it comes to open banking. We see a plethora of open APIs and different solutions. Uh, PSD3 will definitely work on this simplification and standardization of the uh, API, so the open APIs. Another uh, is the cash availability, consumer rights is another area, and uh, op open banking improvements. So if I would uh, talk about one of these six pillars, one is of, my, of our interest is, of course, a fraud mitigation. 
Uh, this proposal will include the extension of refund rights for fraud victims, and uh, PSDC will be looking into the implementation of a more robust system for identity verification, such as, for example, the matching of international bank account numbers, so the IBANs, with account names, and reinforcing the customer authentication protocols, enabling the sharing of fraud-related information among all different players of the payment ecosystem, especially the PSPs, uh, and of course, based on a legal framework. Emilio, thank you very much for your summary of the requirements of PSD3. And for our listeners based in the UK, what impact do you think the potential consultations around the PSD3 will have on, on the UK market? Are we likely to see some of the recommendations of PSD3 included within financial regulations in the UK post-Brexit? Right, it's early time, but uh, what I could say, well, the UK payment system regulator is the one responsible in the UK for enforcing PSD2, while the FCA, so the Financial Conduct Authority, oversees and regulates firms' compliance. So it, it remains to be seen how the UK will align with, uh, with or diverge from PSD3 in the future, as, well, it has the autonomy to make its own decision regarding payments regulations. That's great. Thank you. And I'm sure that's that's a question a lot of our listeners will be asking post-Brexit. Now, another interesting point you mentioned was cash availability, as we're seeing a lot of attention in the press and campaigns by some of the popular media around trying to ensure cash remains available and we do not become a cashless society. Um, what impact do you think they'll have across Europe and other jurisdictions that may look to implement some of the similar recommendations around cash availability and the move towards more digital payment? How do we reconcile potentially some older generations that still like to use cash versus the initiations and the push towards more digital payments? Very good question, Antoine. And yes, uh, this is something that it will be taken into consideration uh, by the Commission, the European Commission, and then in the future PSD3. Uh, one area, as I mentioned, is the cash availability. So they are thinking on uh, taking measures or specific measures uh, to implement to actually enhance the availability of cash through shops and automated uh, ATMs. So in fact, enabling retailers to offer cash services without requiring uh, a purchase and providing clarity on regulations governing these ATM operators. That's great. Thank you very much, Emilio. And could you also let our listeners know how LexisNexis Risk Solutions currently enable businesses to effectively meet their PSD2 requirements today? Yes, uh, we can support and simplify, in fact, uh, companies' PSD2 strategy uh, to help meet customer expectation for payments experiences actually center around safety, speed, and convenience, and automate authentication decisions to support an efficient SEA process and effective PSD2 compliance. So our suite of solutions help businesses to recognize trusted user and in real-time spot suspicious anomalies in near real-time through passive authentication that supports then convenient digital interaction by utilizing a multidimensional digital, physical, and behavioral identity context. So when I say this multidimensional and multi-layered solution uh, and holistic approach we have at LexisNexis, I can mention, uh, well, this multi-layer solution is 
based on many different technologies. I could uh, here mention uh, the most important are uh, device binding, our mobile app authentication, our behavioral biometrics intelligence, and transaction risk assessment. Thank you, Emilio. And in terms of going back to PSD3 and our listeners, so could you let them know who will be impacted by the new PSD3 regulations and how should our listeners start thinking about getting ready for the rollout of PSD3? Under the new legal authorization regime, which will be introduced by PSD3, authorization already granted to uh, PIs and also electronic money institution will remain valid for an additional 24 months as from the entry into force of PSD3. However, these electronic money institutions and payments institution will have to submit a new application to their NCA at least 18 months after the entry into force of PSD3, leaving the NCA the time to assess compliance. So it is crucial for authorized PIs and EMEIs to identify and assess the impacts of PSD3 on their application to be able to keep their authorization. Thank you, Emilio. And when should our listeners expect PSD3 to come into force? Well, timelines uh, are for entry into force are not yet known. Based on the usual legislative process, the final version may become available by the end of next year, so 2024. Uh, but remember, member states are usually granted 18 month transition period. So the directive and regulation will likely start to apply somewhere in the following year, 2025 uh, or beginning of 2026. Thank you, Emilio. Sounds like there's a bit of time, but it's something that people may need, to, our listeners may need to start thinking about sooner rather than later. Certainly. So really, just to kind of summarize the discussion we've had today, I think it's very clear that PSD3 provides an exciting opportunity for the EU payments and open banking to evolve. To our listeners, thank you very much for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about PSD2 and PSD3, please visit the link in the description. Thank you for listening and make sure you tune in again soon for another episode of the Identity Trust Pulse. Thank you. The information provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to and shall not be used as legal advice. The views and opinions expressed in this program are solely those of the speakers and don't necessarily reflect the views or position of LexisNexis Resolutions. LexisNexis Resolutions does not warrant that the information provided in this podcast is accurate or error-free.